talk to you about simplifying. I want to talk to you about the idea of making room, creating space, creating space in our minds, creating space in our lives, creating space in, in our experience. And I want to begin with some research that I was doing over the weekend of you know, just who are we as an American people? Who are we as a society? And um, I found this article, it was a 2018 article from the Washington Post. It was written by Guatam Nair, and I'm just going to excerpt a couple of pieces from it. But the title of the article is, Americans profoundly underestimate just how rich they are compared to the rest of the world. That we profoundly underestimate just how rich we are compared to the rest of the world. And here were a couple of the points that jumped out at me. He wrote, even the developed world's poor and middle classes are, by global standards, extraordinarily rich. After adjusting for cost of living differences, a typical American still earns an income that is 10 times the income received by the typical person in the world. In a survey, when asked about global income, the average U.S. resident estimated that the global median individual income is about $20,000 a year. But in fact, the real answer is about a tenth of that figure, roughly $2,100 a year. Similarly, Americans typically place themselves in the top 37% of the world's income distribution. However, the vast majority of U.S. residents rank comfortably in the top 10%. That might be an eye-opener to us. It might help us to kind of get a greater sense of, of perspective about the life that, that we're already living when it can be so easy for us to think like we're missing out on something or to focus on what's broken or missing or, or not present. And then I found a few more statistics that I want to share with you. And all of that, to me, helps paint a a broader sense of who we are, perhaps, as a culture, as a society, and where we might want to give some thought to changes that we want to make individually and personally. And I think that where that becomes important is there is a direct relationship between our lifestyles and our ability to really experience, I think, genuine peace and contentment and a sense of spiritual fulfillment. You know, Jesus said you can't serve two masters, right? So here are some interesting statistics. According to the Los Angeles Times, there are 300,000 items in the average American home. Don't go home and count them. That, that's, that's, but even if it's half that, NPR, the average size of the American home has nearly tripled in size over the past 50 years. Yet, one out of every 10 Americans rent off-site storage, the fastest-growing segment of the commercial real estate industry over the past four decades. Our country has more than 50,000 storage facilities. From the U.S. Department of Energy, while 25% of people with two-car garages don't have room to park cars inside them, and 32% only have room for one vehicle, from UCLA, 3.1% of the world's children live in America, but they own 40% of the toys consumed in the world. 
from Forbes, the average American woman owns 30 outfits. I think that might be an understatement. In 1930, that figure was nine. From the Huffington Post, the average American family spends $1,700 on clothes annually, while the average American throws away 65 pounds of clothing a year. From USA Today, our homes have more televisions than people, and those TVs are turned on for more than a third of the day, eight hours and 14 minutes a day on average. From the story of stuff, some reports indicate we consume twice as many material goods today as we did 50 years ago. From psychology today, we spend more on shoes, jewelry, and watches, $100 billion a year than on higher education. From the Daily Mail, over the this is might make you laugh too. Over the course of our lifetime, we'll spend a total of 3,680 hours, or 153 days, searching for misplaced items. <laughs> the research found we lose up to nine items every day, or 198,743 in a lifetime. Phones, keys, sunglasses. Paperwork topped the list. And from the Wall Street Journal, we spend $1.2 trillion annually on non-essential goods. Take a deep breath in. You know, and we may find ourselves in some parts of those statistics, and, and uh, we may very well have been working, you know, in our own lives to kind of clear out and open up and to to simplify, and I think perhaps there is something to be said about certain phases and stages of our life. You know, when we're younger and we're in our, our early years and our careers and, and trying to, to create a home for ourselves, maybe build a family for ourselves, it's probably a lot more attracting and acquiring things. But I also think that there comes a place or there ought to come a place in our lives where we step back and we ask ourselves, where is and when is enough enough? And what is the, the true cost that I am paying if I am on this race of acquisition and getting more and more and filling my life and my literally my space with more and more stuff? I don't know where I first read this idea or heard this idea, but the idea is this, that whenever we are thinking of bringing something into our lives or buying something, that it is really wise of us to consider that there is more cost involved than whatever the price tag of the thing might be, whether it's the cost to maintain it, to clean it, to store it, to insure it, or all of those things. And where I think this becomes an important place for us to kind of look within is if we are feeling so crowded out in our lives, if we're feeling like we don't have time to, to breathe and to be and to enjoy, if we feel like we're always struggling either to make ends meet or to get stuff done, then maybe it's because we've got, we've got so much in our lives that doesn't necessarily really serve us. And that part of the process, perhaps spiritually, is practicing a deeper sense of letting go and creating more spaciousness, literally, 
and figuratively. And so we've been looking this month at a spiritual journey into the new year. We began with visioning what is the kind of life that we want to be experiencing and keeping that as vivid in our minds as we can. Last week we talked about the importance of working on ourselves, knowing that we are, are a work in progress, a beautiful work in progress, and yet a work in progress, and to do that work of growth and evolution with a gentle heart, with a, with a love for ourselves and a kindness toward ourselves as a much be better way and healthier way to grow. And a piece of that then is, I think, what we're looking at today. You know, why simplify? Why should we, why should this matter? Or what might be the motiva motivation to simplify? I think when we do simplify, when we do create space physically, mentally, spiritually, relationally, we begin to experience a greater freedom and joy. A greater freedom and joy. We can learn to enjoy the ride a little bit more. I think we can learn to, to experience greater strength and creativity. When there's more spaciousness in the mind and in the heart, there's room for some new ideas. There's room for new ways of being. There's room for new ways of expressing. Hence, I think there's room for growth. To me, this idea of creating space applies not just in the physical, but applies on a variety of levels. It applies on the level of spirituality, creating spaciousness for our experience of God, our experience of the divine, or our experience of the higher power. Not just fitting it in in little nooks and crannies, but actually creating a life in which we have space to cultivate our relationship with God, with spirit, with, with the divine. It's about creating space mentally, allowing ourselves to really be able to think about and focus on with mental energy the things that really lift us up, that support us, that help us to be the best version of ourselves. Physically, I think it comes down to the basics of clearing out the clutter. Any of you, and you don't have to raise your hand, do any of you have clutter in any part of your house? Is there a closet? Boy, you're really with me this morning. Honest, ready to raise your hand. Is there any closet, for example, that you just hope nobody ever opens that closet? Or a drawer? I mean, most of us, we call it a junk drawer, right? And you open it up, and what's in there? Junk. You know, anyway, I won't go any further than that. We're all on the same page. There's, all, there's, there's places where we could improve, and that, to me, is what personal growth and what spiritual practice is all about. It's about um, a journey of growth, about a journey of improvement. In the fifth century in Egypt, there was a man by the name of Arsenius. And Arsenius made a decision that he wanted to live a different life than the life of most of the people in Alexandria where he where he was from, that he wanted to live a more simple life, a more austere life, a holy life. He equated all those ideas, simplicity, austerity, with a more holy life. And he was committed to that. And yet he could be found wandering in the great markets of Alexandria. Think of like this, a super market, a super mall, but you know, 5th century BC, all sorts of products for sale and 
activity and people and bartering and so forth, and he would be found, whenever he would visit the city of Alexandria, he would wander these markets. And people who knew that he had made this commitment to live a more simple life, a more austere life, asked him, why in the world would you be wandering the markets? And the answer he gave was that he loved being able to wander through and look at all the things he knew he didn't need. Isn't that a beautiful thought? To be able to wander through and look at all the things, he could appreciate them, I suppose, but could take greater joy in realizing he didn't need them. He did. What a way to live, huh? I've shared this with you before, but I'll share it again because it fits here. Have you ever walked into a store or now I think we shop with our fingertips, you know, at our keyboards on Amazon or wherever, but the, the question applies whether we're physically in a store or shopping online. Have you ever seen something that when you saw it, you said, oh, I really, really want that? When just before you didn't even know that that existed? Yes? Raise your hand if that's happening. Me too. And then, you know, I think if you're really aware of yourself and you're really trying to practice spirituality, and not that spirituality means you can't have things. It doesn't mean that. It means understanding, I think, or having the right relationship with whatever it is that we have and knowing why it seems to be important to us. And then we have that argument that goes on in, in our minds that says, but I didn't even know that thing existed before my fingers were on that part of the keyboard and I saw this item, and yet I'm noticing that there's a part of me that just feels I've got to have that, right? That's a kind of energy, I think. First of all, we have a lot of messaging around us to encourage us to do more and more of that, and a lot of our economy is driven by and built on what? Consumption, right? Constantly more, more, more. But it takes, I think, discipline and awareness and an understanding of what matters, really matters, to step back and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this thing or this activity going to add value to my life? What's the real cost of this in terms of my peace of mind? In terms of my peace of mind, that's a real investment. That's real investment. Sometimes one thing leads to another. We get one thing and then it leads to another thing and another thing and another thing. Has that happened to you? I'll tell you, my Apple Watch. Got it in, I think it was January of 2020. I got it because my family said I never answer my phone. And I figured, well, if my phone rings on my wrist, then I'll answer my phone. And it's helped somewhat. But the problem with me and my phone was I would always leave my phone somewhere else, not like a lot of gentlemen that keep their phone in their pocket. You know, my phone would be in my purse, so I literally wasn't where my phone was. So I thought the Apple Watch is a perfect answer for that, so I'll go ahead, get an Apple Watch, and then my family will not lecture me anymore about not answering my phone. Fine, got the Apple Watch. They need to connect with the phone. I had a really old phone bought the Apple Watch, did not know that to pair it with my phone to do some of the things I thought I needed and wanted it to do, it wouldn't connect to the really old phone I had. So the Apple Watch required then that I go buy a new phone. And you know when you buy a new phone, 
how all the gadgets that you had that worked with the old one don't work with the new one. So then I needed to buy, because I'm a bit of a neat freak. I like things neat and organized here and at home. And so then I needed to buy a contraption, thought I needed to, buy a contraption to be able to charge the phone and the AirPods and the Apple Watch. But then it needed a place to rest. And the ideal place for it to rest already had something else at that place. So then I had to move that something else and find the place. It went on and on for a while. Did I really want the Apple Watch? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But what I do know is it taught me a bit of a lesson that it's not just the one thing. It's not just the one thing. It's what else does it consume and not just the things that I felt I needed to buy to get the watch to work the way I thought the watch needed to work and the house to look the way I wanted the house to look, but the amount of time I spent. Do you know how many different charging pads there are? And of course you do. That's why you're laughing, because I bet you've done some of the same thing I have. Have you not? Maybe in your own, maybe in your own version, right? So it's getting clear with ourselves and really looking at what is the quality of life we want to be living? And whatever we are either consuming, purchasing, saying yes to, is it, does it really deserve our yes? And is it really helping us to live the kind of life that we most want to live? Michael Beckwith is known to have said, money has become our God, and accumulation has become our practice. I think there's a lot of truth to that statement for many people. Money has become our God, and accumulation has become our practice. Imagine if you spend time shopping, a lot of time shopping, if you spend a lot of time looking for things on Amazon, just stop for a moment and ask yourself, hmm, if I were to dial some of that back and reserve that time for my spiritual practice, might I be happier? I rather suspect that the answer would be yes, but I think that just the willingness to take inventory that way, that's one of the things I so appreciate, appreciate about 12 Steps, the personal inventory, the fearless, honest, moral inventory. Where am I? How am I investing my time, my energy, my resources? And is it in a way that, that really, really helps? I want to share just a few more, few more ideas with you. When we have a willingness to look at this idea of simplifying our lives, creating the experience of greater spaciousness in our lives, I think these are some of the things that also happen. We begin to look at... we. We begin to look at what we do have differently. We begin, I think, to much more genuinely appreciate what we do have. We're not so much in pursuit of something, the next new thing, but we, it's as if we have new eyes, I think, and we see what's already present around us with greater gratitude and appreciation. That's very much a spiritual practice a spiritual practice. We also tend to be less easily fooled 
by the messages of the culture around us that say, you need this, you need that, you need the other thing. In my notes, I wrote about an, um, a comic strip character. Remember Kathy, the comic strip Kathy? So there was an episode of Kathy that was showing the, a kitchen of the 1950s compared to a kitchen of the 1990s. So this is dated, but I think it's still very much, um, there's some wisdom here. So in this cartoon strip of Kathy and the kitchen of the 1950s, it shows a pan, a spoon, and a knife. And in the caption it says, out of that, the pan, the spoon, and the knife, came a typical Sunday dinner of roast chicken, mashed potatoes, and gravy, stuffing salad, two vegetables, homemade rolls, and an apple pie. I think it's exaggerating, but I, it's trying to paint a picture here. And then it shows a picture of a 1990s kitchen and the equipment there. A food processor, a bread maker, a pasta maker, a juicer, a rice steamer, a laser cut European knife system, a 20 piece cookware set, and the caption, the typical Sunday dinner of the 1990s, microwave pizza. <laughs> we laugh, and it's good that we laugh. We laugh because, because I think we can see part of ourselves in it, right? Humor is a great way, and I think it can be. I'm not talking about sarcastic humor. Humor can be a great way to help us see ourselves and go, oh, you know, that's kind of like me, and I, and I don't want to continue down that path. I want to choose a different path. When we simplify, when we make more room, we notice more of the options and opportunities that are around us because we've got freedom to think. We've got spaciousness. We're not so cluttered in here and around here. We can see and be with what's, what's important, what's important. We begin to notice the abundance that's always been present. Remember some of the statistics I shared with you at the beginning? It's so easy for us to think that we're not doing very well. Well, by what standard, right? By, by what standard? I want to share just a few more thoughts and suggestion. My suggestion is to take some time today or tomorrow and just do a bit of an inventory yourself. Where in your life is there too much clutter? And that could be physically, but it could also be mentally. Where in your life is there too much clutter? Where in your life is the very life force of love and joy and peace being squeezed out because of that clutter? You don't have to share it with anybody, but identify it and then sit with it prayerfully to see if you're ready and willing to take some steps to clear some of that out. It's a spiritual art, I think, a spiritual practice. And it gets in part at the idea of attachment, right? Attachment, accumulation, which are not spiritual attributes. They're not spiritual qualities. I'm going to close with a story, and I want to read it because I want to get it, get it right. It's called The Mexican Fisherman. 
An American investment banker was at the pier of a small coastal Mexican village when a small boat with just one fisherman docked. Inside the small boat were several, several large yellowfin tuna. The American complimented the Mexican on the quality of his fish and asked how long it took him to catch them. The man replied, only a little while. The American then asked why he didn't stay out longer and catch more fish. He answered he had enough to support his family's immediate needs. The American then asked, but what do you do with the rest of your time? The Mexican said, after I fish, I meditate with my higher power, play with my children, take siesta with my wife, stroll into the village each evening where I play guitar with my amigos. I have a full and delightful life. The American scoffed, I'm a Harvard MBA and I could help you. You should spend more time fishing and with the proceeds, buy a bigger boat. You catch more fish and make more money. Then, with that money, you could buy several boats, and eventually you would have a fleet of fishing boats. Instead of selling your catch to a middleman, you could sell directly to the processor and eventually open your own cannery. You could, of course, control the product, processing, and distribution. Of course, you would need to leave this small coastal fishing village and move to Mexico City, then to Los Angeles, and eventually to New York, where you'll be running your entire enterprise. The Mexican fisherman asked, but how long will all this take? 15 to 20 years, the American answered. Then what? asked the Mexican. The American laughed aloud and said, that's the best part. When the time is right, you would announce an initial public offering and sell your company's stock to the public and become very, very rich. You could make a million. Million? Then what? The American said, then you would retire, move to a small coastal fishing village where you catch a little fish, meditate with your higher power, play with your grandchildren, take siesta with your life, and stroll to the village in the evenings where you could play your guitar with your amigos. Isn't that a great, great story? We can see kind of the rat race energy. And please don't hear me say that you can't pursue things that are really important to you. Just make sure they're the things that really are important and that you create and allow some, some spaciousness in your life. There's a visual I'll close with, and it's a visual that's really, it's very simple, but it's always been helpful to me. Have you ever taken a piece of paper and filled it or seen a piece of paper like an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper filled with text, six point size text, like the size text that the want ads in a newspaper used to be in. That's six point text. Filled from top to bottom, left to right margin with no space. If you ever, can you picture that what I'm saying? Sometimes it can feel that our life is like that that it is solid, that there's no margins, no white space, and everything gets lost because nothing has the space to be identified individually or to stand out, right? When, we, when our life feels like that, it's not healthy physically, mentally, it's not, our relationships are going to suffer. The visual I hold is when I sense that my life is beginning to look like there's no margins, is where and how do I have to step back to create space between the words, 
margins around the edges of the paper, space between the lines, some indentation, so that I can go and breathe. Can you get that picture? So maybe, in addition to the exercise I suggested with the clutter, you hold that picture for yourself, and you kind of ask yourself, how much white space is there in your life? How much open space is there in your life? Because if you feel like you've not had a good connection with spirit, the divine, with God, it could be that there's no room. Everything is so full, both literally and figuratively. I hope there's something that's been of help to you this morning. God bless.